Hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. We're coming to you from Tourist Yarn, Sydney, on Gadigal lands of the Euro Nation. I'm Anthony Dockrell. Iranian-backed Houthi militants today claiming yet another attack in the Red Sea despite repeated U.S. efforts to deter them. This is just the latest act of aggression from Yemen's rebel group with expanding threats on international waterways and shipping routes shortly after the start of the war between Israel and Hamas. U.S. and allied forces have responded to those attacks, carrying out strikes against Houthi targets to deter the Iranian proxy group from attacking commercial ships. The Red Sea is 11,000 kilometres away from Australia. And you would think that we would be immune from the problems happening in that region. But in this new highly connected world of global trade, Australia is fresh out of luck. Australia finds itself like much of the world caught up and caught out by the Houthi rebels' attacks. Our ships in many cases have had to be rerouted around Africa, or in the case of one ship carrying live sheep returning to Australia after long delays. In a recent article in The Conversation, Sanjoy Paul argued that Australia needs a new approach to how we do trade and also how we view our manufacturing capabilities. Dr Sanjoy Paul is an Associate Professor at the Business School of the University of Technology, Sydney. Sanjoy Paul, welcome to Think Business Futures. Thanks, Anthony. Now, the Red Sea is a long way from Australia. Why is it important to the average Australian? Australia is a part of global business. So when something happened in in any area of the world, it would impact Australia, definitely, because we have a lot of imports, exports businesses going through that Red Sea channel, through the Swiss Canal. So, so that's why, yeah, we are not, you know, uh, out of wood from this disruption. So we are part of the global businesses. And also we we get impacted from this kind of disruption happening in global environment. Just how much trade is going through that region that comes through Australia? Uh, before I go telling about the trade of Australia, I need to give some statistics about global businesses. So if you see 12% of global shipping going through that channel and mostly between Asia and Europe, so from my observation, from this continuous disruption happening in Red Sea shipping channel, Asia and Europe will be mostly impacted because they have many billions of dollars of exports and imports every year. And if you see Asian countries like India, China, Vietnam, and European country, UK, uh, France, Italy, Norway, all are impacted because of this disruption, ongoing disruption. But in terms of Australia, because Australia is little far away from that channel, however, we use Asia as a shipping hub to distribute our products in Europe markets. It means we distribute products through Red Sea and Swiss Canal through to Europe. So in 2022, we imported $60 billion of products from Europe in Australia, and most of them uh, came through that channel. And those products are mostly uh, pharmaceuticals, machinery, foods, mostly luxury foods coming from Europe. On the other hand, 
we exported $23 billion of products in Europe and mostly through that channel again. And it included wine, fruits, grain, and many of them are perishable products. So when that disruption happened in the center of the channel, we needed to reroute. So it, it means we now have to go through South Africa, South Africa's Cape of Good Hope channel. So that, that means it's a long shipping route again. And all the shipping industries or companies, they needed to reroute their ships. And it is not easy. It is not overnight work because you need navigation clearance and other activities planning. You need extra fuel. And all of these are difficult to do in overnight. So without proper planning, it's impacted. So because of that, if you see in UK, many of the products got out of stock from the supermarket. For example, meat, wine, tea, and fish. And if you see specifically wine, wine was going from Australia. So that's when our import, sorry, our export has been impacted because of that disruption. So similarly, our import was impacted because it's taking long time and also the increased cost. For example, if you reroute your uh, shipping route, what happened? your shipping cost will increase because of the extra uh, miles you need to navigate. So what happened? Those extra costs will pass on to businesses and to the consumers. And this is the case of import when extra cost passes to businesses and consumers. But in case of export, our businesses and small businesses specifically are in trouble because they don't have anyone to pass that extra cost. They need to bear that extra cost by themselves. And there's other costs as well. Like there's been a, a ship recently that was uh, taking a sheep to the Middle East and it's had to stop its journey and uh, a lot of the stress of the sheep that were on that vessel. Look, since November, rebels in Yemen have been attacking boats going through the Red Sea. How impactful has it been on trade? If you see immediate impact, because in response, shipping industries, they stop going through that channel. That's when if we, you will feel that immediately there will be delays, delays in shipping. And if this continues, and that is the case for this ship disruption, there will be shortages and out of stock. At the end, in the long term, consumers will be the sufferer because of lack of supplies and other things happening. And on other cases, uh, you may not see the impacts in short term, but over the long term, when that global business is impacted continuously, that will have a refall effect on our trade in Australia and it will be visible because if there is a change in the global markets, ultimately it will also impact Australian markets. So that is the worry at this moment, because if if that disruption continues for several months, I don't see any sign to stop it. I believe there would be visible impact in near future. 
And, and look, it, it, it cuts to the heart of Australia being a competitive exporter as well, doesn't it? Because yeah, ships can avoid the Red Sea, but as you talked about, going around Africa basically doubles the length of the journey. So that would have huge impacts on Australia being able to compete on the global stage. Absolutely, because if you see the labor cost in Australia is significantly high compared to many other Asian countries. So if you want to compete with Asian country, it's still it's still very hard because of our labor cost and you know manufacturing cost here in Australia. However, if you see have if you see shipping cost increased again, it will put more pressure on us, our farmers, our businesses to compete in the global market. So that's why in that situation, I don't know what could be do in short term, but in the long term, our business should be prepared for this kind of disruption events so that they can make their plan ready and implement it quickly. For example, there are many, many critical manufacturing we could bring it here. For example, our wood, iron ores, we send them to overseas countries and bring the finished products here again. So there is a double transportation. But if you could establish our own manufacturing here, we may not need to rely on those you know, overseas countries and also this kind of global disruption. We will be in the, uh, independent and we could make meet our market demands. At the same time, we could export it in overseas market. So that's why I have been talking about bringing critical manufacturing in Australia for a long time. And I believe it's... Is you know, it's good to be led than never bring them back and establish our own manufacturing hub here. And I do want to talk about bringing back manufacturing to Australia later in the discussion. But let's stay on the the dispute that's happening in the Red Sea at the moment. Many Australians would be amazed to know that basically isolated geopolitical forces eleven thousand kilometres away can affect our trade so fundamentally. For a long time now, we've been blind to the risks that our trade has been under for a long time. These risks aren't going away, are they? I don't think so. So if you you see our global environment and if you see the trend of disruption happening recently, I don't think that there would be a normal situation always. You will find this kind of disruption happening here and there and impacting our global businesses and trades. So that's why preparation is needed. We'll see more disruption in future because of the changes happening globally, geopolitical tension, natural climate change, and other things happening. So we'll see more disruption, and businesses should be ready for that. In the conversation, you wrote that we need a plan B. And as we saw during the pandemic, supply chains can fall apart quickly in this new global world we live in. What can Australian companies do to protect themselves and their customers? Yes, so uh, I believe this is a time to discuss about this plan B. Yep. Because if you don't know about your disruption situation, potential situation of threats coming to your businesses, then you'll be in more trouble. So it is better to assess them in advance by scenario planning, okay, if this happens, what would be our plan B? What would be our next alternatives? 
So you need to think about it proactively. And these proactive plans are different for different businesses. So they need to find out what could be their alternative options, alternative plans, if this happens. So that why, that's why businesses need to assess the potential threats in their chain, supply chain, including their supply, including manufacturing, including distribution. So they need to assess their potential threats and then develop the plan B. It will help them because they can implement their plan quickly. Otherwise, they needed to wait for a longer time to assess the impact, develop the plan, and implement it. So that's why I have been talking about this proactive plan. I believe this is the time for businesses to think about it, make them make their plan ready for implementation, quick implementation. Our supply chains were meant to be more robust since the pandemic. We've been told that a lot of these issues have been fixed, but the problems in the Red Sea have shown that that's not the case. Yeah, it is not the case any at any time. So if you see a disruption, you recovered well, but you don't know how you'll respond to the next one. So every disruption characteristics are different. So that's why you need to assess all the possible threats. If this happened, if something else happened, what would be your plan? So pandemic was different because all the countries were impacted at the same times, border closure happened and we were isolated here, but we managed that because of our inter, you know, own manufacturing and distribution here. But when you would you will deal with the global markets, you need to assess all the threats, all the threats in there and be ready for that. So yeah, supply chain is dynamic. It's never been robust and the plan should not be fixed. You should be ready to change your plan according to the you know changes happening anywhere. Let's talk about onshoring. It's something that you mentioned in the conversation that we need to do, and I've and I've heard the term, of course, a lot in recent times. What is it, and what would it look like? So, onshoring is bringing all services at home. So it's kind of if you take Australia as an example, you'll bring all manufacturing and other services here. But it is theoretically possible. Practically, it is may not be 100% possible because you cannot bring all the things here because you may not have raw materials or other things available here. So you still need to rely on other countries. But the concept is here, bringing the possible services here on onshore in, in, in your home region so that you can do your most of the activities here without or you know less relying on other parties. But in this onshore, there is another concept we called nearshore. So onshore and nearshore both works together. If you see our neighbor neighboring countries and those island countries, if we can include them in terms of manufacturing and other for other resources, I believe we could we could have a good manufacturing and distribution hub here 
supply hub here considering our island countries and Australia. So that is a potential, but it needs to be investigated further for the feasibilities. What about the idea of friendshoring, which is another term that I've been hearing about, and the idea of maybe moving some of our supply chains from China to countries that we're more friendly with, so India, Indonesia, and countries like that. Is that something that you could, would see as a solution as well? Uh, it, it is a temporary solution, I would say that, because today we are friends, tomorrow we don't know. So, so that's why, yeah, if you want to sh- move our, some of the services from China to other countries, it is possible for a short time. But the problem is here, developing capabilities to those countries will take long time. If you see China, China has developed their capabilities since last 30, 40 years. And they are uh, number one in terms of manufacturing in the world. So, yes, we could think about that, but this is not a permanent solution. Permanent solution would be, you know, bringing those services near shore or onshore and working with friendly countries who are our friends uh, to move our ship products, our manufacturing services over there. But yes, it is not a... uh, it is a good solution, but not the best. Now, Australia rode the globalism wave, and most of us are richer for it, but it has left us a hollow shell as far as our manufacturing base goes. Is it possible to reverse this trend and build real manufacturing capacity in Australia, seeing that our manufacturing base is so low? I think so. So now, if you see the manufacturing, manufacturing becomes automated. So you have lots of manufacturing technologies and advanced technologies. You could use them to produce your product at the mass level. So in that case, there would be less involvement of labor, physical labor, but you need skills. So that is why your initial investment for developing that skills and bringing all the advanced technologies for setup would be high. But in the long term, if you think strategically for for 10 to 15 years or 20 years, your cost will be offset. Initial cost will be offset by your mass production and also having or expanding your businesses or markets in global countries that will be really useful for Australia and Australian economy to develop a manufacturing hub here. While we all can see the need to return manufacturing to Australia, the the business case for much of this manufacturing returning is lacking, but government assistance is one way that this can happen. And we're seeing this happening in America right now as it tries to rebuild its silicon chip industries. Is this the solution for Australia? Yeah, one of them. This is, this is, I believe, the most important one to get support from government to bring those manufacturing here in Australia. At the same time, you know, we need investor businesses and so that they can do the real works. But yes, government would be the primary stakeholder to support this concept and, you know, 
communicating with relevant stakeholders to think about this future, what could be done in terms of manufacturing hub here. So if you see defense, recently defense started or securing their supply chain from bringing all the services, overseas services to home. And they are working to develop a sovereign supply chain only for Australia so that our supply chain can be secured. So similar concept can be applied here in terms of commercial manufacturing and commercial products. So look, if we need government assistance to bring back some capacity to this country, what would that assistance look like? So if you see in terms of assistance, definitely financial assistance would be there, also resources in terms of a space, hub, you need you need to develop that uh, location and uh, bringing advanced technologies, collaborating with your friend, friendly countries to bring those advanced manufacturing, advanced technologies for the manufacturing here. Yes, so government, if government involves for businesses, it would be a lot more easier compared to if they do by themselves. Now, look, there was a time when Australia made a whole range of products that we now import. I'm thinking about cars, televisions, fridges. It just went on and on. And not only were, were those products made here, the components in most cases were made here as well. Those days are long gone, but there was a reason why that was happening, and that was tariffs. Is tariff something that Australia should look at? I know it's a controversial thing to raise, but is maybe trade tariffs something that could be a way of bringing back manufacturing base back to this country? This would be up to the government to decide. But yes, if, if that study is waived here, would be an advantage for businesses. So yes, I'm not sure if, how much that will work. So we need to further investigate how tariff will be useful or waiving uh, waiver of tariffs would be useful for businesses. So I'm not sure about it. Look, I'm guessing some industries won't be coming back no matter what kind of assistance there, there is, such as the, you know, the modern world that we now live in. So we won't be buying Holdens or uh, you know, even Australian-made cars possibly in the future. But what industries could and should we bring back to this country? I believe one of them should be electric vehicles and also hydrogen car. That would be the future and renewable energy. So I believe we could target these three sectors, electric vehicles, hydrogen vehicles, and the renewable energy sectors. That has significant potentials for Australia. So you think we should be bringing back car manufacturing to Australia? This is not traditional cars. It should be hydrogen and electric car because our net zero ambition we have for 2050. Wow. Okay, that's fantastic. And what other industries do you think we should be bringing back? Other could be furniture manufacturing, you could see. We have good supply of wood here, it's very reputed, but we send them to overseas country for processing. And again, bring them bring back here for, for consumption. So we could have that wood manufacturing or furniture manufacturing here to meet our demand. Second one could be steel manufacturing. So we send again iron core to overseas countries and 
we bring the finished steel products for our uh, construction here. But if you uh, can process them here, I believe cost would be much less and also the availability of those products would be much more for our construction industry. Uh, is there anything we haven't talked about that we, you think we should? Yes, the, the final one is uh, these disruptions are unpredictable. You don't know where it would happen and when it would happen. So that's why your, your business, you need to look your businesses and see the potential threats across your supply chain and develop alternative plans for all of them. But these plans are not static because the world is changing, risks are changing. So you need to replan, redevelop, and re-implement your strategy again and again to make sure you are very dynamic and you know managing your risk under, under dynamic environment. So risk management here in Australia is, is well ignored at this moment. But I believe during COVID and after COVID because of this global global disruption happening, we should create more awareness among our businesses and also our, among our customers so that they can understand the importance of risk management, especially supply chain risk management, and they can invest uh, in, uh, sorry, they can invest resources for managing risk. It, it does seem that the pandemic and now, I guess, the war in Ukraine and the problems that are going on in the Middle East at the moment have provided us some very fundamental lessons. Do you think we actually are finally listening to these lessons and, and will act? I hope businesses will understand and act accordingly. But as a human nature, we tend to forget. So when good time will come, so sometimes we ignore risk management when our businesses are running good, there is less disruption. But we, we become concerned when there are risk and disruption happening. So I believe businesses should change their mind and prepare whatever the case is, good time, bad time, but prepare accordingly for the bad time, disruption. Okay, if it doesn't happen, then okay, we are good. But if it happens, you will be in far ahead compared to others who do not prepare themselves to take actions, respond accordingly, and take the advantages of the market position. Sanjoy Paul, thank you for being on Think Business Futures. Thanks, Anthony, for having me. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of Tourist and is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. If you'd like to listen to this program again or share it with your friends, just go to touristcr.com or you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Think Business Futures will be back next week. I'm Anthony Dockrell. Thanks for listening.